You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. You've joined us in the middle of an exciting series. We are tracking through a series called The Neverending Story. And it's based on the 1984 cult classic movie, The Neverending Story, in which a young boy, Bastian, uh, goes through after uh, being chased into a bookstore, uh, a great adventure in which he starts reading through a book. And as he gets further and further into this book, he realizes that the characters at the heart of this incredible story and adventure are actually looking for him. And in so doing... He takes this step of faith and Bastium himself becomes a part of the never-ending story. Now, if you haven't seen it, I recommend you go and see it or borrow one of the 15 copies that I've got on my desk (laughs) or at home. But as I was reflecting on tonight's message, Bastion never would have gotten to that point of realization and stepped into that great adventure if it weren't for the school bullies that had chased him into the bookshop in the very first scene of the movie. You see... Bastian had an intersection with a range of people that were just trying to pick on him and never understood that they would chase him into the greatest adventure of his life. Now, look, I don't know where you are tonight, but the great truth that we're going to pick out of this passage is that God uses all sorts of people and all sorts of means and maybe even a school bully or two in your lifetime to chase you into the greatest adventure and the greatest story that's ever been told. That maybe tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can open up this book. And it's not some, this is not something out of a fictional 1984 movie. It's far more relevant than that. You can read through this book, God's never-ending story, and realize that you can be part of the adventure as well. And so what we've been learning is that God calls these people into his story in order to do the good works that he's planned for them to do. That was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Last week, we talked about how then... God takes your passions and your unique gifts and abilities and gets you to use them for his broader purposes in order to call people into that. And how does that happen specifically? It's at the intersections. Not all of us are school bullies. Some of us are the agents of God. And here's the truth of God's word, that if if you've intersected with God, if you've placed your faith in God and you're intersecting with others, then God wants to influence other people through you how he's worked all throughout history, all throughout the Bible. And so what it means then is that the stranger that you happen to speak to or the person who cut across your path may not just be there by accident. We're going to uncover that tonight as we read God's word. And as we think upon that, we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through to 11. The end of all things is near... Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And each one should use whatever gift they've received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What a great way to end a Bible reading. Anyone who is of university age has stared this daunting task in the face. It's called your P-plate test. And I was there 
just a few years ago. <laughs> and <laughs> I had studied and I had practiced and I had done the, all sorts of hill starts and all sorts of things. And I got to uh, that very point and I will never forget this day uh, because as I, I got there, I, I was stuck in a bit of traffic or up on a hill. I thought that, that could have meant a hill start, but luckily I was in an automatic, so it was okay. Everything was looking fine. The car in front of me took off. I took off in Dad's V8 dragon wagon, as I called it. And I came to a decision point right when the light went a bright orange in front of me. And it was at that point, in the middle of my learner driver's test for my P's, I put my hand over the instructor and I said, hold on, going through. <laughs> Needless to say, I failed. They didn't put that in the manual. And then I, I, I spent a whole week lamenting, why, oh, why, Lord? Like, why didn't he take me out to Lady Penryn Drive? There's no traffic lights there. There's no cars there. There's no hills there. There's nothing there. I could have done a nice park and it was all fine. Why? Why did the instructor take me there? You know, I think it's because, wouldn't we all agree, that things happen at intersections. All sorts of stacks, all sorts of crashes, all sorts of lights, decisions that we have to make. And so the truth the identity that I'm going to bestow on you this evening, friends, is that you are all L-platers for the kingdom of God at his intersections. You see, God is like that cheeky little instructor in my life. He takes you to those places that he knows that he's going to put you through the paces and place in front of you decisions and opportunities that might affect eternal consequences. And so in that sense... Tonight, what do we do at intersections? How do we navigate God's intersections in life? First of all, you've got to, and this is almost, look, if you can bear with me, this is almost a bit of a healing moment for me after um, that experience. The first thing I realized I needed to do there was open my eyes. If you're going to navigate God's intersections, you need to open your eyes. You see, once there was a man whose house was in a flood and he stood on the porch, waters are up on the porch, and a boat comes along and says, mate, get in. He says, no, 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 it's okay. God's going to save me. And the floodwaters continue to rise. They rise and rise. They're up there. A boat comes up past the first story window of his house. They said, mate, get in. He said, no, 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 it's fine. God's going to save me. Floodwaters go all the way to the roof. He's on the last little bit of the roof. Boat comes along, uh, goes past him. This helicopter then hovers above him. Rope comes down from the sky right next to him. They yell out, I'll grab the rope. He said, no, it's fine. God's going to save me. The waters continue to finally come up. They succumb. He's still bubbles coming out at the top of the water. He breathes his last breath. He gets to the pearly gates in front of God. He said, God, I was a good Christian. I did everything that you wanted me to do. I believed in you. You're a powerful God. You're going to save me. What the heck went wrong, Lord? The Lord said, mate, I, I sent you two, two boats, three boats and a helicopter. What else am I supposed to do? You see, Christians in particular, we've got to open our eyes. You see, God is constantly trying to reach out to the world around us. Constantly sending boats and ropes down to people saying, grab the rope. I've got a rescue plan in place here. And that's what Peter was saying in verse 4. Verse 4, let's have a look at what he says in here. Uh, verse 4, verse 7, sorry. He says, the end of all things is near. The end is near. You see, now, look, first thing here, when you hear that, what's the first thing you think of that? 
I don't know if you're anything like me, it's some crazy old bearded guy that hasn't showered in about a week with a sign around his neck. You know what I'm saying? The, the end is near. You know, what's really interesting is that don't you find it funny that when we hear that the end is near, our first reaction in our modern day world is that that guy's crazy. He's a fruit loop. And yet for Peter, Peter wasn't crazy. He was being realistic. You see, uh, 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 Christianity and anyone that calls himself a Christian is someone who's got the truth that God is already at work in the world, that there's another reality from the world around us. That God is already breathing and working and moving. And so therefore, be ready to have your eyes open to what he's doing. Open your eyes. I sort of call it the, 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 the magic picture principle. Uh, there were these, uh, remember the 3D books that they had back in the 90s that were always so popular? I used to stare at these magic books and they would have these repeating patterns across the page and my sisters would see it, my brother would see it and, oh, look at the, look at the 3D boat, it's fantastic, wow. I'm like, I can't, I can't see it. It's right there in front of me, I can't see the boat. And then one day it hit me and, and, and I, I blurred my eyes for a bit and went a bit cross-eyed and then bang, it hit it and I could see it. Oh. You see, when I say open your eyes, it's, 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 it's not a matter of some super spiritual revelation happening. You see, the way that God works is he's not trying to give you new information. He's just trying to make the same information new. And so we've got to open our eyes, guys. You know, I, the ways that God is working around us, why don't we? Why don't we? Well, come on, let's be honest here. We get distracted, right? We get distracted by jobs. We get distracted by hobbies. We get distracted by relationships. You know, I was chatting to someone the other day. They said to me, look, maybe our busyness is Satan's decoy to distract us from the real work of God. And so what I ask you tonight is how often do you guys intentionally pray, Lord, when might you use my life to intersect with someone else for your purposes? In other words, are, you, are your guys going to be are your eyes going to be open to this week to the to the movement of God in that sense? And when look when you get to the end, either the end when Jesus comes back, or your end when you're with God at the pearly gates, friend, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the sort of person that says, God, how come everyone else got to do the cool stuff, and how come everyone else had the great stories, and how come everyone else seemed to be used in people's uh, uh, amazing stories of changing lives? And I don't want God to say, Sam, look, I. I I sent you that girl in the uni cafe or I sent you that co-worker whose face was a little bit saddened by the water cooler this week. I sent you that parent who really needed to, to feel your love and an affirmation you haven't spoken to in a while. I sent you the auntie that you haven't spoken to in a while. I don't know about you guys, but I want my eyes to be open to the movement of God around us. And so you need to see people as God sees them when they cross your path. An opportunity to intersect their lives with eternal purposes. So first one, when you get to the intersection, open your eyes. The second thing you need to do is, is proceed with caution. You know, do, don't do what I do and say, hold on, going through. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. But you see, I think evangelistic strategies in the church, they've, they've done that. They're, it's the dragon wagon approach, if you know what I mean. Uh, talking with my, uh, my mentor this week, Graham Agnew, uh, he's, he's, he's shared many a times in which his evangelistic strategies that he's used uh, back when he was my age and a budding young minister and all that sort of stuff. And he was saying how, you know, you'd get to someone's front, front door and you'd ask them this question. If you died tonight, where would you go? Heaven or hell? 
Now, I, 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 look, have you ever experienced that? Have you, have you ever experienced when people come to you like that? Isn't it funny that somehow when you take that tactless approach to evangelism, often it leads to you being told to go to hell yourself? <laughs> you see, why is it? Look, I, I think it's because in, in, in our day and age, this sort of fear tactic doesn't work. In, in, our, in our day and age, here's the thing. For someone to come to a belief in the God that we worship here tonight, then the, the, the demonstration needs to come before the proclamation. You know, when I, I was at school, I always, always loved show and tell. And it was really easy when you had show and tell. You'd take an object and you'd show it and you'd tell about it. I think the church has flipped the things upside down. Churches always tell and then show. <laughs> I want to tell, tell you about all the things that God's going to do and yet we don't show people the love of God in that respect. What, what does that look like? Look, you've, uh, maybe you've been in this scene before, right? Large family barbecue, friends are there, you're at someone's house, bowl of punch on the table, smell of sausages wafting in through the bifold doors on this beautiful summer's day, peace and quiet, the clinking of glasses as someone's washing up in the background, and then two brat kids come running through the lounge room, going crazy, Bowl of the punch gets everywhere. People are getting really frazzled. And there's always probably like two ladies that are friends with the mother of the child. And they're sort of hiding between a glass of champagne each. And they're sort of saying, yeah, that's Julie's kids. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny that all sorts of judgments are happening. And poor, there outruns poor Julie. You know, hair's out the side of her face. And then you see it from the other side of the room. This is how parents control kids. It's with a little thing called the evil eye. And you can see Julie standing there, giving the evil eye to the kids. Don't you do that. Settle down. And she's trying to calm them down in that sense. And we've all been there. We've felt the pain of the poor Julies. And maybe you've even been one of those kids themselves. And the kids are totally oblivious to it, isn't it? They've got no idea what's going on and the embarrassment they're causing their parents. Why does it cause embarrassment? You see, because how the children acted was more a reflection on the parent than the child himself. A reflection on the parent's values and, and what they stand for and, and the level of discipline in that family. And here's the thing for us, you know, the great truth of the Bible says that we're the children of God. And so in the great living room of the world, you know, many of us go busting punch bowls everywhere and acting like idiots. And here's the thing, how we act is more of a reflection on God than what we say. You know, it's not so much the words you use, but the way that you live and the choices you make. You're either enhancing God's reputation or you're turning him into Julie. <laughs> oh, that's God's kids. <laughs> at it again. Look, guys, you know, look at the life of Jesus. Look at the way that he acted as one of, one of the, the ultimate child of the father in that sense. You know, he was a perfect example of the way that he interacted with the world. This whole approach, he didn't call people to decisions and say, if you die tonight, where are you going? You know, no, no, no. When, when he goes and he sees the boys hanging out with John the Baptist, he says, just come and see. Come and check me out. <laughs> His first words to a Samaritan woman were, not, oh, you adulterous thing, you, but can I have a drink? His first words to Zacchaeus, a cheating, low-down little tax collector who was hiding up the tree to get a glimpse, of, a glimpse of him was not, pay back the money, mate. But it was Zacchaeus, get down. I want to eat with you tonight. I, I love Jesus' example. He's so radically different from everyone else, those approaches at the intersection. You see, you know, Jesus was, he called people to believe. Don't get me wrong, but he always 
There's always a demonstration of the Father's love and his grace before he called a person to decision. In every interaction with Jesus, there was patience and there was grace and there was a willingness to listen to their story. Why? How? Look, verse 8 of this passage gives us a clue. Peter picks up on it. Remember, Peter was one of his disciples. He says, because love covers a multitude of sins. See, Jesus loved people. Jesus loved people. Jesus' difference was a genuine love for those that he intersected with. He didn't see himself on some conversion mission from God. He just was here to love people. And so it begs a question for you and I tonight that are followers of Jesus. The question is, what is your motivation for seeking to intersect with other people's lives? You see, unless our desire is to share the story of God with others is motivated by love, then one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to be driven by a sense of superiority. I'm in the know. I'm a Christian. You better go on my agenda. Or we're going to be driven by fear that if I don't do my job this week, God's going to smack me. It's either superiority or fear because we're not grounded like Jesus was in love. Look, classic example, chatting to James Kennedy about Hope Street. And the work that we do there with the inner city mission in Glebe. Uh, he was talking to uh, Julie, the, the lady that runs uh, the, the mission down there, and is one of the pastors down there. And, no, not that Julie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's talking with Julie there, and, and she was telling a story about the group that was in before our church. And the way that they'd been down there to serve and they'd been there for one weekend and, and one of the team that had been down there from another church had, had called her up that week and said, I need the number of this person. And she's going, oh, that's a funny thing. Oh, what, what for? Yeah, well, we were with them and she made a decision and we need to follow up. We need to counsel. We need to do all this sort of stuff. Now, Julie had been working there for years. <laughs> and these people were interested in sort of getting in there and getting the numbers all stitched up. And I don't want to sound overly critical here, but, but here's the thing that James reflected back to me. You know those guys have been doing that ministry every month for three years. Not once has James sought to go in there with cards and numbers and statistics and count and conversions and all that sort of stuff. He was there simply to serve because he just wants to love people. The team just wants to love people. And here's the thing, this is why the Christian can get into these intersections of life with due caution and patience and proceed with caution because Christians realize that God is the master evangelist. God's the one that's doing the work. To be a Christian, you realize you didn't do anything to step into his story. It was all his work anyway. And so in that sense, you're just passing it on. You know, John 16 verse 8 says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of their sin doesn't say that the Northsider will convict the world of their sin. And I think so many churches are trying to twist people's arms behind their back and make them feel guilty, make them feel bad. But you know what it's saying to us tonight is that there's a great release, the great burden, guys, is you don't, you're not the one who has to do the saving. You're not the one who has to do the hard work here. God's not putting you into some sort of evangelistic pressure cooker. Instead, he's just asking you to partner with him in his work. So the question is, well, what can I do? What is my job? You know, verse 10 what the Hope Street team does each and every month. Use your gifts to serve others. Be a faithful steward of what God has given you to just serve others, to just love other people unconditionally. As a follower of Jesus, you and I have the opportunity this week to, to make the invisible God visible in the world. And so to proceed with caution means we love deeply and we serve others unconditionally. You know, if people don't come to Christ through deeds of love, you know, that's okay. You know what we're going to do? <laughs> we're going to continue with deeds of love. 
Because that's what it means to walk as Jesus walks. That's what it means to model how Jesus turned this world upside down. Not through evangelistic strategies, not through questions of if you died tonight, where would you be? Guys, when you demonstrate the love of Jesus through practical ways, when you demonstrate first, you'll discover you'll earn the right to proclaim God's love in people's lives. The, the demonstration's got to happen with the proclamation. And the proclamation's got to happen with the demonstration. So proceed with caution. Don't floor it this week in your evangelistic endeavors. Finally, guys, evaluate your experience. Learn from your mistakes. That's what I had to do. I did pass my P's test, by the way, if you were sort of wondering. My wife doesn't have to drive me around everywhere. <clears throat> but here's the question. I know it can be a bit daunting for some, but look, have you ever almost been involved in an accident at, at an intersection? It's a, it's a terrifying thing. I, I was on the Pacific Highway. You had the brothers and sisters in the car and a caravan and jackknifed and came over onto my side of the road. And I was just looking at a wall of a caravan coming at me and it, it missed our car by literally half a metre. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in those situations, when you look back on it, I don't know why, but everything seems to get played in slow motion. You, you, you relive every single moment. Wobbling caravan, that, that's what that effect is. And um, <laughs> You evaluate your experience. What would I do? Where would I turn next? Where would I go? If this happened, what would I do? What, what would happen here? You know, would I break harder? Look, why that's great is I want to tell you tonight, when it comes to intersecting with other people for God, you will have a head on. You will, you will crash and burn at least once. And I hope you do. Because we learn from our mistakes in that regard and we can rest assured that God is the one that is in control of everything. But it's great for you to begin to understand what your best approach at each intersection of life might be. Now verse 10, verse 10 says this. It says, Each one should use whatever gift they have received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. You know what? It's great about that that passage and what Peter's saying tonight here, it means that there'll never be a one-size-fits-all in demonstrating the love of God to people in the world. Now, last week I said, how, how will you use your knobbly bits? If you weren't with us, everyone had a bit of a puzzle. I wasn't being rude. Uh, everyone had a bit of a puzzle, and, and I was saying that the knobbly bits of, of your piece of, of God's puzzle is your unique shape and your talents and your gifts and your abilities and the things you love and the passions that just, to switch you on, how will you use your knobbly bits in God's purposes? How will you use your passions in his purposes in order to call people into God's never-ending story? So in that sense, practically tonight, guys, here's your challenge for the week. What common ground purposes already exist in the relationships that you have with people? What's the, what's the common ground that could be used to glorify God? Your common interests and your common passions and your common linkages to the everyday world. Things like dirt bikes. You see, I'm not much of a dirt biker, but uh, my, my brother-in-law Greg is, and he's a bit of a personal hero for me in, in this regard because Greg, Greg hasn't been a Christian all his life, but he's got a passion for dirt bikes. I've been at his garage. I've seen how clean they are and how good they are. I can't even climb on the thing. I mean, I, I, mechanically, I struggle with my wife's hair straightener. Uh, if, I, if, I can't, if I can't drive that thing properly, what hope have I got on a dirt bike? You know, but see, here's the thing. You know, Grego always used to go uh, dirt biking. It's been a passion all of, all of his life. But when God came into his life, God switched that totally upside down for his purposes. 
And now every second or third month, he goes down to these dirt bike camps down south near Canberra. And he works with a bunch of other passionate guys that all call themselves Christians. And they run camps for underprivileged kids and, 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 uh, and school groups and, and, and kids that, that are going to be there and have a bit of fun. But they're going to encounter God's story. And you know what I love about dirt bikes? Who said evangelism couldn't be fun? <laughs> Who, look, guys, what I want to say tonight, and, and, and it's, it's, it's Grego's story, is that I, I want to give you permission to explore some new evangelistic strategies. Get on the bike if you have to. But here's the thing. Evangelism doesn't have to be reduced to doing something that you don't like with people that you don't know that you think don't care. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. How can God use your passions Redeem your passions when you place your faith in him for his purposes. The dirt bike principle. Look, guys, the best way for us as a church to build a relationship is to simply discover ways for us to be useful. And you might have all sorts of gifts and talents. We've had knitting groups in this place that have engaged with the mums of the community. We've had all sorts of ways that people have used their gifts and their abilities. And so I'm just saying, evaluate, look back upon the things that you do each and every time to find out how you can adapt to find a common ground intersection. And I mean, if God can use dirt bikes and maybe you can use hair straighteners, I'm not sure, but, but they're there. It's about finding those common linkages and adapting for the sake of the broader story. That's what Jesus did, right? As I finish tonight, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the reason for life and that reason for life was God and the reason for life was with God and he was God. And John says he became flesh, he became a human and, and we saw him. The great story of the gospel, guys, is that, 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 that God spanned the entire universe and became a, a man, a human, so he could intersect with the human race. And, and, and that human being turned the world absolutely upside down. And when, guys, when we look at the effort that God went to to intersect with your life, it means one of two things for you tonight. Look, it means, firstly, if you, if you don't believe in God or you don't believe in Jesus, just take a look at the story, at least, at the effort that God is going to to get your attention. You know, it's not about sending boats or helicopters. But he sends friends and he sends boyfriends and girlfriends and he sends family members and he sends neighbors and he sends family. You think all oh, this is by accident? I, I, I want to say to you tonight, look, the, these intersections are, are, are the, the pen and the ink on the paper of his story. That, that it's how God is, is interacting with your life. And so if you're at that point tonight, I just pray that you don't write this moment off. That you just don't deem that this is something you've got to do tonight and you were just floating through, it was all your own doing. God ordains every specific moment in people's lives and you can intersect with him through faith in Jesus Christ tonight. Would you like that? But it means if also you're a follower of Jesus, friends, brothers, sisters, look, guys, if God went to the effort to cross the universe in order to intersect with us, do you, reckon, do you seriously think you know, our motivation in terms of getting right, do you think it's that much of an effort for this week for us to be intentional about crossing a classroom or a school playground or a university campus or a workplace or just a conversation to demonstrate the great love of God? In this incredible world. And that's the heart and the reason as to why we do this sort of stuff. We're not on some evangelistic crusade. And friends, as I close with this story, because I always believe in practicing what you preach, and that's always a difficult thing this week. 
But I was thinking about your passions, his purposes this week. I had Friday off. I thought about my passions. I love to cycle. I'm really into cycling at the moment. Love my Lycra. And so Kristen was at work. And, uh, and I decided to get on the bike and, and I was going to ride all the way to Brooklyn. But I thought, you know, Lord, redeem, redeem these unusual purposes. Young man in such skimpy looking outfit. And, and I rode all the way to Brooklyn and, and, and I just prayed. I said, Lord, you, just use me today, will you? I'm going to preach on this on Sunday. Can you just use me today? So I rode my bike all the way up to Brooklyn. Didn't see one other person on the way up there. Not that I was going to get in a big conversation on the back of a bike. But I get to Brooklyn. I sit down at a cafe. There's a few mums around, but nothing's sort of happening there. So I thought, I'll leave that. Go back, go to get on the train, get to the train station. There's not one soul on the train station. I think it's great. Wind's blowing. It's howling. There's tumbleweed going down the platform. I'm thinking, Lord, you're doing a great job so far. I've got about four hours until Kristen gets home. You better hurry up, Lord. And so... I, 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 get, I get there, the train pulls up, the doors open and I think, oh, okay, I'm going to go in this carriage and I go there, put my bike down, sit down there, trying to be out of the way of people, not a pretty sight and, uh, and there are these two lovely old people sitting next to me, they're just across there, they've got their bags there on the train. I said, oh wow, you guys off for a bit of a trip? They said, yeah, yeah, we're off to Europe on a Trafalgar tour. And so for the next half an hour, we got talking about Europe and all the fun things that they were going to do. And they live up on the central coast at Davistown. And, and as the conversation's going, I don't know if you do this, but I'm, I'm praying whilst I'm trying to listen. You know, us guys are not good at multitasking, but I'm, I'm praying at the, at the same time, Lord, Lord, is this it? Is this the one? Is this the intersection? And I'm three minutes from Epping Station. I'm praying, Lord, you better hurry up here. I've got three minutes. And so the, uh, the whole time I've just been listening to what they do, I'm thinking, should I drop the pastor bombshell in there? That's got to do something spiritual. But I thought, no, no, I'll, I'll leave it. And then finally, three minutes from the station, the, the, the old man says, well, what do you do? And I said, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a minister. And I went, wow, what denomination? I said, oh, Churches of Christ, they're like the Baptists. And they said, oh, we're Baptists. <laughs> At which point I thought, awesome, God, you've spent half an hour of my life getting me all excited for a bunch of Christians. Two minutes to go, almost the Epping Station coming down the station. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Oh, we'll come to our church. I'm thinking, great, I'm supposed to be inviting people to my church. <laughs> so, okay, I'll go to Greenpoint Baptist when I'm up there next, uh, at Avoca, staying with the folks. And, 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 and so I, I'm there, I'm thinking, Lord, what, what, are you, what are you doing in all of this? And I said, look, it's my last throwaway line. I said, well, look, at the least, folks, brothers, sisters, You've been great because I'm preaching on intersections and how God uses us to intersect with people's lives this week. And you've been really good sermon research for me. So thanks heaps for doing all that because I got up this morning and I prayed, Lord, just put me in place of, of someone who I could just share a bit of God's grace and love with. And you've been great practice for me. At which point the older lady, Elaine, um, just burst into tears. And... And she's tapping the leg of the old guy. I don't even know what his name was. And she said, well, you know what? I've got a minute and a half left here before the Epping train station's coming up here. She said, I'm, I'm carrying some really serious health concerns over to Europe. And I'm just so anxious. And I've been praying to God this morning that I could just find some comfort. Could you just pray for me? At which point the train pulled up. <laughs> The doors opened and I turned around and I said, look, before I get on this bike, I'll do that for you. And the last vision I had of this lady was just of an old couple in their 80s and the older lady in tears, just sort of patting the leg of her husband. 
who obviously had been at the same time praying, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? Can you give me a sign in that sense? And they used some chump little minister in Lycra <laughs> <laughs> to affirm that God is at work. Now, guys, I didn't save anyone this week. But your passion, his purposes, and open eyes to the intersections of life. Guys, if each and every one of us just had one of those this week, what, there could be 130, 150? 150 of those sorts of intersections this week if our eyes are open. If we had seven, do the math, we could be close to a 1,000. But look, our role in the church is not to get everyone in the world to know Jesus. It's to position ourselves so that everyone in our community, in our part of the world, knows someone that knows Jesus. And so you may very well be that one person that knows Jesus in a company of a 1,000 people, in a university of tens of thousands of people in a school of a couple of hundred people, in a mother's group of 15 people. I don't know. You could be that one person. But the truth I want to say to you tonight is that God wants to impact the world through the intersections of your life with other people. Open your eyes. Proceed with caution. And may we continue to evaluate our experiences as we continue the Christian journey.